so glad you're here this morning. My name is Eric. I'm the campus pastor. And I want to teach you uh, a word in, in American Sign Language. It's an easy one. It's the word amen. Can you do like this? Amen. Amen. And I love this sign. Uh, by the way, at 9.15 every Sunday, we have an, a, an interpreter. And some of our deaf community comes. If you know someone who's deaf, do you know there are more deaf people in Austin than UT students? And yet it's one of the most unreached people group in America. And so if you meet someone, invite them to come on a Sunday at 9.15 where we have an interpreter. But I, I love this sign because it's, it's, it's a great way of illustrating what that word means. The word amen means, so be it. May it be so. It's like a gavel coming down by the judge. Like this is going to be true, right? And so we're talking about these, this song was talking about the promises that God gave us. And do we realize those promises? Are we living as if those promises are true? So it's a new season. And it kind of even feels like a new season. It's fall, right? Officially? Is it? Maybe? So apparently, I can't wear these white shoes after today. But it feels like a new season. And I'm going to claim it as a new season. And I, I don't know about you, but I love when the summer's over and the fall is here. All right, it's a little cooler in the air, not as sticky. It's uh, football's here. As a kid, you know, it was all about the summer, not as an adult. It's all about fall when the kids go back to school, right? But I want to ask you, in this new season, what's going to be different at the end of this season in your life than how you're going into this season? See, a new season gives us a chance to start afresh, and I believe that God has something significant for each and every one of us. That he wants to take you to a new level of trust, a new experience with him, a new beginning. And maybe for some of you, it's a chance to start that relationship with God. Or maybe he's calling you into something new in terms of leading or serving or growing. And here's what's really cool. The scriptures tell us that we have everything we need to grow up to become who we've always wanted to be. One of my favorite passages of scripture, it's in 2 Peter. If you know the story of Peter, Peter was usually the one that would put his foot right in his mouth right after Jesus did something significant. He seemed to always try to end the silence, but not in the best of ways. And yet something dramatic happened to him. Once Jesus was crucified... He was the one who denied he even knew who Jesus was. But then once Jesus rose from the dead and had this encounter with Peter and restored him back, and something changed within Peter. And eventually, he wrote two letters that we can now read. It was written to persecuted followers of Jesus. And we can read it and apply it to our own lives. Listen to what he writes. Peter writes, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, if you're here and you're just exploring faith, I want you to listen today with what is being offered to you. What we hear at the very beginning is when we say yes to following Jesus, when we acknowledge that what Jesus did on the cross is something we need to count for our life, we need his forgiveness, his leadership in our life, 
Once we surrender our life to God, we begin this relationship with God, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. The scriptures tell us it's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. The same power is within us. I want you to think about that for a minute. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within you and me after we say yes to following him. That means we have everything we need to grow up, to to live a transformed life. That people can see a difference in us. The life before Jesus and the life now following Jesus. Jesus. This word power, when you look at the original Greek word it was written in, it, it, it's the word dunamis, which sounds like dynamite, right? It, it, it actually means a miraculous power, a physical power, a might, a strength, a force, an energy. Now, in our world, we hear the word force or energy used, and we're not talking about a Star Wars kind of force, or a new age type of energy. And maybe you've heard people talk about, you know, the universe guiding them. All three of these are actually impersonal. They're they're acknowledging a, a spiritual realm, but they're not acknowledging the fact that we can actually have a relationship with the God who created the universe. It's impersonal. And what we're invited into is something so much better that there's a a God who loves you, who created you on purpose and for a purpose, that wants to whisper in your heart and mind and guide you into the life you've always dreamed of having, a life that's transformed, one that's not stuck in the generational patterns that have been passed down, one that's not stuck in the habits you can't seem to break. And what happens is this power gives us access to God's divine nature, which define, that word defined is is really this underlying constitution or makeup of someone. The actual phrase is partakers of a divine nature. That word partakers is the word often translated as fellowship. It's the word koinonia. Now, I grew up going to church. I don't know if any of you grew up going to church, but we had a fellowship hall. And a fellowship hall, in my mind as a teenager, was where we would have pot yuck dinners. Pot yuck. That's what I called them. We called them as teenagers. It was like everybody brought their leftovers to share. It was not good. And that didn't feel like what I think fellowship is supposed to be. In fact, I didn't fully understand fellowship until a film came out years ago called The Lord of the Rings. Right? The Fellowship of the Rings. Right? See, fellowship growing up in church was like, you know, that kumbaya campfire moment at camp, where everybody would turn to the right and massage the person in front of you, right? Now turn to the left, right? It's, just, it's what we're doing for each other. But that word is actually so much more than just that. It's more like in Lord of the Rings, a fellowship was elves and dwarves and hobbits and humans, these creatures that could not stand each other, but yet they were united in a common cause to save civilization. And that word partnership, we are partakers, we are partners with God that we have what is considered something that belongs to us and that's his divine nature. We are joint participants in the very nature of God. We have access to God in that kind of way. We have everything we need to become who we've always wanted to be, who God's created us to be. And we can see this in nature You know, babies are so cute. When a baby's born, she has all 10 fingers and 10 toes. 
She has two arms, two legs. She has everything she needs to grow up to become an adult. Now, it may take some time and certainly some nourishment and learning and, and community to help her grow up to become an adult, but she has everything she needs to be mature. Aren't you glad that a baby isn't born with just a head? That would be terrible. I don't know if any of us would ever want children. They come out like a tadpole, just a head. And then eventually, six months later, the torso grows. And then little nubs come out as arms. And then legs. It's a terrible thought, right? So you know, babies are cute because they're little bitty tiny versions of what an adult would look like. And here's what's really interesting. Did you know that the reason, one of the reasons that babies are so cute is that our eyeballs never grow. We have adult eyeballs in our little baby heads. Let me show you an example. Look at that. Isn't that cute? This little guy. And you can see it's all about the iris, right? You can't see any of the whites of the eyes. We have adult-sized eyes in our little baby heads. We look like little precious moments or those little <laughs> big eyes paintings, right? But did you also know, and this is true, that your Nose and ears never stop growing. Something to look forward to. Here's John Wooden in his 90s. Your eyes, I mean, your nose and your ears never stop growing. Some of you are like, uh-oh, you know. But here's what the scriptures are telling us, that we have everything we need to grow up spiritually, to live a transformed, a godly life. So why is it we go around walking as if we're so defeated? Instead, we need to be walking knowing that we have God's divine nature within us. You have all you need within because of God's gift to you. In this passage, it tells us that God has some very great and precious promises for us. Are we living as if those promises are true? See, choosing to follow Jesus happens a moment in time but it lasts a lifetime. See, God will never leave you nor forsake you no matter how far you might wander. A relationship with God is like a relationship with a faithful friend, a devoted spouse, a loving parent. He will never abandon you even if you walk away. He will always be right behind you waiting for you to turn back. But see, I, I wonder, did you have that moment? Can you look back at that moment when you finally said yes to God? When you surrendered, when you asked him to forgive you, you asked Jesus to lead you. See, that moment, something miraculous happened. That divine power, that divine nature is placed within. But it's after that that you have to do something to grow. There are things that God does for us, but there are things that are required of us, that are needed of us in order to grow up in our faith. And that's trusting him, obeying him. See, what happens, though, is we do find ourselves wandering. And if you're not seeking after God, then you can feel that distance. And you will live less than what you're capable of living. And when we mess up, and we will, we need to remember that's just a relapse. That's just the default of who we used to be, but not who we are becoming. When we mess up, we're relapsing into bad sins and bad habits and but that's not actually our new identity as children of the king. That's who we used to be, but not who we are. That may be the default of what the scriptures call our flesh, but we're actually able to now walk in the spirit. 
because the Spirit of God is within us. But the problem is we keep forgetting this. We keep forgetting who we are. I need to get more up-to-date movie references, but I cannot help but think of that scene from the movie Hook, a classic, where Robin Williams plays Peter Pan, but he's forgotten he's Peter Pan. He thinks of himself as Peter Bannon, and he's an accountant, and he's a nervous wreck, but he ends up back in Neverland, and one of the Lost Boys comes up to him, and he, he pushes his chubby little cheeks backwards, and he says to him, oh, there you are, Peter. See, some of us are walking around forgetting who we actually are. We default to the old version of us, forgetting, no, 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 wait, when I mess up, when I make a mistake, that's not who I am, that's who I was. Who I am is a child of the king who chose me, who loves me, who gave me life, who's transforming me. Last week, I flew to the West Coast to take my daughter to college and it was a couple days before, it was just a terrible day. Arguments, hurt feelings, frustrated, triggered, lots of you always and you never. And I'm not talking about Trevi, I'm talking about me. <laughs> I, I'm a grown man and I was just in a bad place. And I think it's because I was defaulting, right? I, I wasn't wrestling with my emotions of saying goodbye and so it just kind of a subconsciously maybe creating that emotional distance to make it easier to say goodbye. And so that night, on Monday night of that week, I had to work the steps, which just may, basically means kind of reminding myself of the spiritual disciplines the scriptures tell us. But those 12 steps are, are simply just acknowledging that there is a God and I'm not him. That I need to surrender. My life is unmanageable. My emotions are unmanageable. And I need his help. And then it's about doing an inventory about what are the things I did today? And why did I do them? And then making amends. Making things right with the person you may have hurt. You know, years ago, we were introduced to the 12 steps as a normal part of living a life that follows Jesus. And I had always heard of the 12 steps and thought of it as for those who struggled with alcohol addiction or drug addiction. And I remember when John Burke, our senior pastor, was saying, we're gonna go through this series and I want you to choose a struggle in your life to work on. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, what am I gonna choose? Like I, I like to talk about what I overcame, not what I'm trying to overcome. <laughs> and as I'm thinking like, gosh, what will I choose? He said, and if you're not sure what to choose, choose pride. And I thought, well, I don't want to choose that. <laughs> you know, that sounds terrible. And so I chose my struggle with having a short temper. I can be pretty calm and pretty cool, pretty collected until I'm not. <laughs> and then it's just too much. And so I started going through the steps and working on finding healing from this issue with a short temper, only to discover it's not really a short temper. Behind it is anxiety and control issues, and it's been passed from generation to generation in my family. See, all of us, I believe, can benefit from what we now call restore. We don't use the word recovery because it makes us think, you know, for some people, again, you might just dismiss it as that's not for me, but we all need to be restored. We all have hang-ups. We all have areas of our life that are keeping us from moving forward with God. We all have habits we want to overcome whether it's binging on shopping or food or drink or TV or phone or pornography. And we all have hurts, unhealed wounds. And so this fall in October on Tuesday nights, we're bringing back 
restore. And this weekend, there's just a few spots left for a weekend that's all about healing called Transformation. Again, both of these you can find at gatewaychurch.com south. But I believe that God wants to do things in you. And see, what happened to me as I went through this experience, I felt like God for the first time connected my head and my heart. I felt like I must have had a calloused heart. In fact, my personality is one that's described as ENTJs. That's what I am, Myers-Briggs. It says, they deny feelings exist. My wife is an INFP and it literally says, they live in the world of feelings. So you can imagine how difficult it was. She lived in a world I didn't believe existed, right? <laughs> but after going through Restore, I, I, I felt like my head and my heart connected. I could feel in new ways. And sometimes it was too much, and I had to learn how to process my feelings. See, some of us as men, we were not taught how to feel, what to do when we feel. So we're just angry all the time, when behind that is actually fear, or sadness. And so what we're describing today is actually something that God's inviting us into. See, the, the longer you've walked with God, the more he will help you transform. And so for me, that part of the journey included restore. And, and, and what I'm talking about is, is not religion. I'm not talking about humans' attempt to get to God, to, to make God happy. I'm talking about a relationship with God in which you're so grateful for his love, this unconditional love, that you actually want to change and you ask him to help you change. And here's what's amazing. When you have this relationship with God, he speaks to us. Sometimes it could be through the scriptures. Sometimes it could be through a message on a Sunday or a lyric in a worship song or in a conversation with a friend or in community, in a group. Or it could happen even over the radio, a song that comes. So last week, I'm on the West Coast, and it's this miracle story where Trevi had turned down all of the schools that had accepted her, decided she's just going to stay in Austin after nine months in France. She thought, you know what, I'll just stay in Austin, continue going to school. But then we got a, a call from her number one favorite school in Santa Barbara. It's called Westmont College. And they said, we want to talk to you because if money's the only reason you're not coming, we... We have another op option for you. Well, that was the reason we said no. And so we had a conversation. It was early August when she made the decision she was going to go off to school. Well, that was just a few weeks ago. And so we had to buy tickets to, to get her out. And it was just all so quick. I, I don't think I was processing quite right but we had this grand plan because she had just spent nine months in France and I grew up in Texas. Our thought was every time we met a Californian, we would speak in our accents, her French accent and my Texas accent. And here's footage of us practicing. Here we go. Hello, uh, my name is Trevi and I'm here for uh, the school. Yes, and my daughter Trevi. <laughs> <laughs> We actually ended up not doing that. <laughs> but man, my accent can come out good when I want it to, right? And, we, and I thought I did not want to bring, you know, all sorts of presuppositions to her, this poor Texan in California. And so we had this great time and she's meeting her roommate and she's, you know, getting ready. In fact, we go to Target a couple times and in the end three times to get all the stuff she needed. And in one of those trips, she said, Dad... I want you to baptize me. 
It's like, well, sweetheart, I already baptized you when you were six. And she said, yeah, I know, but, but I didn't fully know what it meant to follow Jesus like I do now. I want to start afresh here. Well, I'm wearing jeans and a button-up shirt, and she's wearing, you know, whatever she's wearing. And so we make another trip to Target. I buy a swimsuit and swim shirt, and she didn't want to be baptized in like a new bikini. So she bought board shorts, and they happened to be Spider-Man in the boys section. And then she had a Super Mario Kart swim shirt. And so I, we walked out in the freezing cold Santa Barbara ocean, and I baptized her. Here's a picture of us right after. It was a, yeah, it was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. Just a reminder that she's got the faith that I always prayed she would have. And then she walked away. I said goodbye and she walked away. Here's a picture. Oh, just heart-wrenching. I think it was easier in France because she was living with a family. We could always fly her back at a moment's notice. There was no timetable, but this felt like forever. And I have to admit, as I got in the car, I was a bit overwhelmed. I had kept my emotions in check. I wanted her to know I was going to be okay, and she's going to be okay. And I get in the car, and I just lost it. It was like ugly crying. And in part because God spoke to me in that moment. A song immediately comes on the radio, a song I'd never heard before. And it's a song from God the Father to his children, but it sounded like it would be something I would say to my daughter. Listen to the lyrics. It says, you walk, you run, you climb, and you fall again. You crawl, you fight, you break apart tonight. But I'm the voice that keeps on calling out to you. Don't worry tonight. I will hold you. Don't worry, my child. I will stay by your side. And I remember just thinking, that's exactly what I needed to hear from God. I can't be there for her. I've never been able to be there for her like God, our Heavenly Father, can be there for her. She's never alone. In the middle of the night, my notifications might be off, but God's notifications are never off. She can reach out to her Heavenly Father. He's there for her. It's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. In fact, I have actual footage of the song and me crying. Here, here, here's, a, here's an example. You walk, you run, you climb, and you fall again. You crawl, you fight, you break apart tonight. But I am There you go. That's actually not me. That's not me. But that's exactly what I look like without the hair. And the blue steel. So then what should we do? Right? If we keep finding ourselves overwhelmed with our default nature, how do we actually live out this new life? Listen to what it says in 2 Peter, now verse 5 of chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort. In other words, give one's best earnestness, enthusiasm, zealous zealous diligence. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, the question we need to really ask ourselves is, do I really want to grow spiritually? Or am I going to be content with where I'm at? Do I feel like I've already arrived? Because there is more that God has for you, but it requires trusting him more. See, God has done some miraculous things in your life and for you to get you to where you are now, but you still have to say yes in trusting him. And you still have to say yes every day to what he calls you to. When you trust him, when you obey what God is leading you to do, that's the path towards growth. See, our world needs you and me to be at our best. Some of these attributes, these fruit of the Spirit are lived out in relationship with Him. It's a a vertical. But some of it is only possible living in the context of community. They're horizontal. There are things that God wants to do internally, but there are also things that God wants to, to do in you and through you externally in the lives of others. If we look at each of these, you'll you'll see that these are possible because of what God wants to do in you. We're supposed to add to our faith goodness. This means a gracious act, a a virtue, an uprightness, a moral excellence. In other words, you do not have to give in to rudeness because you have the capacity for goodness. You don't have to give in to gossip or slander or judging others. Instead, you can assume the best. You can offer grace. You can say, I'm sorry. You can offer forgiveness. You can actually see others as God sees them, created in the image of God and loved by him. See, we need more goodness in our world. It's too rare of a commodity. And that's why I want to encourage you to, this season, in this season, to join a group. Maybe you've been a free agent for a while, the pandemic threw you off, or maybe you've never connected. But finding a group can be part of the journey of moving forward faster. And we have one group in particular, the Reconciliation and Justice Network, has two different book clubs, both based on a book written by Clarence Hill. And a secular newspaper said that this work These books, there's one called Dream Clock for the Corporate World and our business network is part of that. And there's one called Race to Jesus. And our 20s and 30s is joining in in that as well. And the secular newspaper said, this message is what our divided world needs. A secular newspaper said a book by a pastor can actually change our world. You can find out more about these book clubs at gatewaychurch.com slash south. See, what we see in this passage is not only to add goodness to our life, but to goodness add knowledge. Now, this is a commonly misunderstood word. We grew up in the Western world, many of us, most of us, and when we hear the word knowledge, we think of head knowledge. It's about getting as much information as possible. In fact, I know many people who are looking for a church to teach them more. But here's the catch with that. If your goal is to know more, it's not actually what we're invited to do. It's not about head knowledge that you can win a Bible trivia contest. It's actually about experiential knowledge. That's what this word means. It's a working knowledge gleaned from firsthand personal experience. See, knowledge that God invites us to have is knowledge of a firsthand experience with him. See, I know I can trust that my daughter is in the hands of her heavenly father and I don't have to worry about her. 
because I had an experience where God told me that. We don't have to give in to ignorance. We can experience the fullness of what God has for us. You know, I had a conversation, uh, two conversations in the last week, two different people talking about their experience with Gateway. And one said, you know what? I've loved Gateway, but I, I need a church that will feed me. I only have like one hour of work of, a, a week for my spiritual life. So I need a church that will help me in that one hour. And I appreciate what they had to say, but if you use that analogy, if the church is about feeding you once a week, you're going to be really hungry throughout the rest of the week. See, our goal is not to just feed you so that you have everything you need for a whole week of malnourishment. The goal is actually to inspire you to a life where you're diving into your relationship with God every single day on your own. And you're in community so that there are others that are walking this race with you and helping you along the way. In the same week, I had a conversation with another person who said, you know what, this is the first church that's ever challenged me. And she just described, you're not just teaching me things I didn't know. You're calling me to live a life I've never yet lived, which requires an extra level of faith. See, this knowledge that God has for us is experiential knowledge. And then there's self-control. This definition of the original word is so interesting. Self-mastery, self-restraint, self-control, or continence. We don't use that word. We use incontinence to describe someone who needs, you know, adult diapers. But, but this is saying that you can live a life of self-restraint, of self-mastery, of self-control. You don't have to live a life that's unmanageable or incontinent. And then in, to add to self-control, perseverance. Remaining under Endurance, steadfastness, especially as God enables the believer to remain under the challenges that God allows us to face in our life. And then to that, add godliness. The idea of it's an inner response to the things of God, that we start looking and acting and living more like God. People can see a difference in us. And then it says to add to that mutual affection. It's the Greek word Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love. If you've ever been there for a football game and you're wearing a Cowboys jersey, it won't feel like that. <laughs> it's this idea of loving someone, a brother. But then it goes on to use a word, and you can't see the difference in English. Mutual affection sounds like love, but then it uses the word in Greek, agape, divine love. See, this is the kind of love, when we use the word love, love means I love pizza, I love the cowboys, I love skinny jeans, whatever it may be. But this is a different kind of love. This is a divine love. It's an unconditional love that God has for us that we can actually extend towards others. We can begin to see others the way God sees us. And here's why I love this church family. Gateway South, you have created that space where my family, 11 years ago when we moved here, found a place where we could truly come as we were, as burned out as we may have been. And you loved us and you helped us along the way to grow, to become more and more who God has created us to be. You've been a place where I could bring neighbors, I could bring family members, and they felt that same love. God's inviting you and I to bring more of heaven to earth, to bring more of this unconditional love to a world desperate, desperate 
for something other than hate, something other than despair. And so I want to invite you, as we sing this next song, to acknowledge your need of God in transforming you. But I also want you to ask God to show you your next step. Maybe it's jumping in to serve. Maybe it's jumping in to belong. Maybe it's creating spaces for others to belong. Maybe it's to grow. Maybe it's jumping into a group to find healing. I believe God has something for you in this season that's going to require that extra effort of trusting Him, whatever He puts on your heart. So let's stand together and let's sing.